This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. All right, so on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Do you want to just tell us who you are? Uh, sure. My name is Jihad Adwan. Um, I am uh, originally from uh, Gaza, Palestine. But originally before that, my family did not originate in Gaza. We originated in a small village about uh, maybe 10 miles north of Gaza, where the land today is called Israel. Hmm. So my family was uh, dispossessed uh, in 1948, and they left their land during the war, and they became refugees. Uh, they came to Gaza, uh, to the Gaza Strip, and uh, my parents, um, you know, came from two different villages, and um, then they lived in the same refugee camp and, you know, started a family. Um, I come from the southernmost part of the Gaza Strip, right on the Egyptian border, a small town. Well, not so small. If you count like 200,000 people small, right? Uh, it's not a small town. It's a big town now because uh, the numbers, you know, of, of the refugees has grown very fast. Uh, so basically for 75 years today, well, almost to the date, 10, 10 days ago, was the uh, event that triggered all, you know, the refugees, the Palestinian refugees, including my family and my ancestors. Uh, so uh, they have been living as refugees all these years for 75 years. Um, many Palestinians are not even lucky enough to, to live in the land. You know, it's true. We, right. My family lives on their land or in Palestine as refugees. Others had to leave. They have lived in Lebanon, in uh, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, uh, all, all over the world, basically, in the United States as well, uh, as refugees. So... Um, it's it you know it's been a long long time, and uh, how it came about that I I'm here today is uh, in 1998 I came to Minnesota as a student um, I got a, a Fulbright scholarship and uh, started studying at the University of Minnesota uh, for the masters then the PhD then the rest is the rest is history I started a family I have kids uh, I currently live in Blaine Minnesota so. It's been uh, 25 some or more years since I went almost 27, 20, I can't even count how many, probably 26 <laughs> years now. Right. So, it, you know, it's been a long time. Um, still, I'm adapting to the to the cold of Minnesota. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, this winter was a rough one. So yeah. I know a lot of people uh, weren't happy with this uh, winter we had this uh, last year. Um, you know, Amnesty International in their 2022 report uh, finally said, quote, Israel's continuing oppression and discriminatory system of governing Palestinians in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories constitute uh, a system of apartheid, end quote. 
constituted a system of apartheid, end quote. Can you talk about the current situation for the Palestinian people and Israeli settlements, administrative system, the blockade, et cetera, what, the, what that system of apartheid in Palestine uh, is and what that looks like for Palestinians? Sure. Um, well, you know, as, as refugees, as Palestinians in general who live, there are Palestinians in, in many different categories these days. Right. There are Palestinian refugees who live, you know, all over the world. There are Palestinian refugees who live in refugee camps within Gaza and the West Bank and Jerusalem. There are Palestinians who live within the bounds of the state of Israel today, and they are Israeli citizens, those who did not run away. Right. Um, and, of course, there are the Jewish citizen citizens of Israel who, you know, have full citizenship. They have full rights. Uh, Palestinians who live within Israel have have Israeli uh, passports uh, and they ha have representation in the parliament. Palestinians who live uh, within the occupied territories, Gaza, uh, West Bank, East Jerusalem, have no right to vote or uh, have, you know, full citizen uh, right within Israel, obviously. Uh, otherwise, the demographic uh, balance will be broken. Israel mm -hmm. has always been um, like we want to keep this as a Jewish democratic uh, state, which kind of, um, you know, very um, unusual thing to say. If you uh, mandate a religion to a country, you basically took that dem democratic piece out of it because you deprive other people of their rights. Um, since the occupation, since Israel became a state, they were very adamant at grabbing land from Palestinians, those who fled, like my village. I can right. pinpoint on the map where my village was. My late father knew everything about that area, and he taught us where, it, where we came from. We can look at it in the on the map. Uh, we can see everything. I can locate it if I have the chance to go over there. And there are still a few, you know, uh, features left, but um, a lot of these villages were uh, eradicated completely, destroyed, uh, rebuilt, uh, you know, with uh, housing for uh, Israeli citizens. In, in the occupied territories, there are Israeli settlements where you know, obviously their uh, MO is that, well, this is the land of Israel. We're going to populate the land, the extreme right and the extreme left. They're all in the same uh, mindset that this is the land of Israel, the promised land, and that's where Jews can live freely. So they are attracting immigrants, Jewish immigrants. If you, if you are a, a, a Jewish person, living in New York or uh, Boston or uh, anywhere in, in Sydney, Australia, in London, in Paris, you have what they call birthright to immigrate, uh, have full rights in, in that area. They give you money, uh, incentive uh, to live and build your life, start a family. They give you land. They give you everything. But if you're a Palestinian who lived there just 50 years ago, right. or if you're a, a citizen 
who lives in Jerusalem and then leaves for six months without permission, they can take your citizenship away and you're, you know, stateless, you're uh, out of the question. Um, needless to say, the, the Palestinians are um, subjected to uh, one of the most brutal uh, military occupations in history, where their lives are threatened every day. And the examples in Gaza just a couple of weeks ago, uh, where the Israelis just freely target and assassinate uh, Palestinian activists and leaders and what they call terrorists. Right. Uh, someone's terrorist is someone else's uh, freedom fighter. Um, in, in that context, a lot of violation of human rights happens on a daily basis. I'll give you a, a very little example uh, with my, my experience. When I was growing up, I was in high school and um, the Israeli occupation forces, of course, they, they controlled the Gaza Strip. And then one day they uh, stormed our school because there were some flashes outside the school. Some students were involved. We were in our classes. All of a sudden they were, you know, um, breaking through the gates and all these heavily armed soldiers came in and they took us all to a detention center and, you know, these summary trials, and we are, you know, uh, 16 and 17 and 18-year-olds, kids. Right. And we, we couldn't even get representation. We didn't have a lawyer. We didn't, uh, nobody read us our Miranda rights. They beat us, you know, really badly in, in interrogation. But everybody was guilty, whether you're guilty or not, or there is any evidence or not. And we stayed in jail for a few weeks, and then we were released. Um, a few years after that, there was the this, I'm talking like 1980, 85, 86. And then in 1987, there was this popular uprising. People were fed up with the occupation and they wanted freedom. So there was a lot of uh, demonstrations, closures, and uh, you know, strikes, things like that. And there were some violent uh, clashes as well. Israelis responded with, you know, live ammunition, killing people, injuring, maiming uh, young people who were leading the, uh, the charge. I was in high school. I had just finished high school and I had to stay home um, without any prospect of learning or, you know, traveling abroad to, to go and um, you know, complete my studies because of the occupation. They close the borders. They, you can't go anywhere without permission. And even you had to go. Imagine, eighteen-year-old, just fresh out of high school, who knows nothing, right. go and uh, be interviewed by this highly, you know, qualified Israeli intelligence agent who asks you questions, including collaborating with them to be a snitch basically on your mm -hmm. friends and your neighbors and your and I said no I you know I said oh, screw studying I don't <laughs> I don't want to go to study and then you know he he just let me go and said well don't ever think you will you will be able to, to travel without working for us I said well I don't want to travel and then uh three years later I had this unique opportunity to study nurse, nursing because the Baptist mission in the, in the Middle East 
had this opportunity within a hospital in Gaza. So it wasn't, you know, at the time, all universities, all colleges were closed. Nobody goes anywhere. And I was able to enroll in a nursing program. So unfortunately, nursing wasn't my, uh, I guess, fortunately, maybe, uh, <laughs> wasn't my first choice. You know, I wanted sure. to go study medicine or engineering or something really, really. Because uh, nurses, uh, we have to admit, you know, we're not the top tier uh, choice for, you know, graduates. And I was good in school, right. so I could have qualified for something else. But those are little examples. Other people today lose their lives because of all these settlements, like I mentioned earlier, the settlements within the West Bank that cut through uh, villages, cut through cities, uh, they can stop you. And in addition to that uh, barrier, the separation barrier, it's like a 12-foot concrete wall that encircles all the towns and the cities with gates, basically a ghetto uh, that, you, you know, uh, amnesty is not far off when they say it's an apartheid regime because there are two systems of mm -hmm. governing, two systems of treating people, uh, Palestinians being in, in, uh, encircled from all directions. They cannot have any freedom to move without Israel's permission. Um, they cannot go sell their uh, goods. If, if you're, mm -hmm. say, growing strawberries in Gaza or growing flowers or any vegetable or fruit or anything you want to export, Israelis can stop it on the border and let it rot in the sun. Imagine the sun in Gaza mm -hmm. these days is like 100 degrees. It's still spring. And if you leave fresh fruit and vegetables out without refrigeration or anything, a lot of that can go to waste and people lose their livelihoods let alone, you know, the, the daily harassment, the daily, um, you know, uh, oppression on these uh, checkpoints where people are just going about their normal life. You know, if you live in a town, you need to go to the next town to go to the doctor or go to the clinic or go to your school or college or do your business. Well, even if you live within your village, there are sometimes barriers and checkpoints where you cannot even go to harvest your, right. uh, you know, olives or whatever you're, you're growing, you cannot reach them. And building those settlements within, those are the most extreme elements of the Jewish society. And it, many of them actually came from United States and mm. they lived in, in the West Bank amongst the, the Palestinian populations. And they're Settlements are expanding. The Israeli government puts out plans every day to build new settlements and, and then bring uh, new people. So the Palestinians having are having smaller and smaller and smaller chance of becoming independent. And that's the stated goal of, the, of their government, where the Palestinians can be treated as second, third, fourth tier uh, citizens or not even citizens, human being, hardly, right. to, um, as, a, as, as opposed to someone who comes from any part of the uh, of the globe who is a Jewish person. So I agree wholeheartedly with uh, Amnesty when they are characterizing this as an apartheid. And, you know, describing it with words, I haven't been there in a long time. <clears throat> mm -hmm. But, you know, living it, the, the, the amount of time I lived there, more, almost 30 years before leaving, and hearing the news every day, you just feel that, this situation cannot go uh, any worse. But 
if, believe me, when you if you go there and listen to people who have actually made the trip and and lived in the shoes of Palestinians for just a few days or a few hours, you can tell immediately this is apartheid. And the late Desmond Tutu himself, who lived under apartheid South Africa, and uh, uh, Nelson Mandela, who you know lived his life, his youth to fight apartheid in in uh, South Africa, they all, uh, you know, indicated that this is worse than what the uh, South African blacks were uh, being treated as. And um, this system is more systematic uh, and uh, more harmful to these human beings than any system that they have lived under. Right. I've heard it, you know, referred to as, a, you know, an open air prison camp, essentially, you know, with these bar uh, barriers. And then also, um, you know, the one of the cruelest parts, obviously, is the blockade, um, you know, that not only can they not go and sell their strawberries freely or or move their uh, folks move their goods freely. But, you know, as far as uh, food, water, medicines, things like that, uh, equipment coming in, needed equipment and things like that coming into uh, areas where uh, Palestinian people are living uh, under those conditions. There's a blockade in place, too. Right. That, uh, oh, you know, yes. that, that stuff isn't coming in. Right. And, you know, I was listening to your podcast this morning uh, about Alex uh, Saab mm. and the situation in Venezuela and how the U.S. Uh, targets certain governments that they don't like. Right. And the same thing happened in Gaza when there was election in 2007. There was fair, fair election. And actually, Jimmy Carter was supervising the election. Mm. And... Hamas, which is, you know, um, kind of a nationalist religious organization, they had a uh, victory in that uh, election, and they have the right to form a government. Mm. Immediately, the United States government said, no, this is illegitimate, right. uh, and we're not going to deal with them. Hamas is because, well, that's because, you know, the U.S. mimics or copies exactly what Israel does and whatever Israel disagrees with, the U.S. will disagree with immediately. And we know the powerful, um, you know, Zionist lobby, the ultra um, conservative, um, you know, evangelical uh, lobby, and all these people who are very influential in U.S. politics, they shape that policy in addition right. to unlimited military support. In, in the war in 2014, the the U.S. supplied Israel with munitions because Israel was running with all their arm to the teeth and right. they were bombing the hell out of Gaza and they ran out of bombs. Imagine what a good friend like the United States would do. They opened the storage facilities where these are strategically um, stationed weapons and munitions within Israel for U.S. troops to use and they just released that uh, reserve to the Israeli uh, military to use against Palestinians where hundreds, if not thousands of people were destroyed and killed and their livelihoods were, were decimated because of that war. And, and you know, this is since, you know, the, the 60s, that relationship got stronger and stronger. And there is no deterrence for Israel to change course or talk peace or do, you know, this peace, the peace treaty in 1993 is a big joke where Israel 
we're just talking for the sake of talking. You know, the PLO and Yasser Arafat kind of believed what the Americans were saying, that this can end up, you know, with your independence. Look where we are today. You know, Israelis took that as a an excuse to keep just, you know, rolling that can, throwing it down the street, right. and do whatever you're doing to expand settlements. And and a lot more settlements were were built during the so-called peace process, and then they declared the Palestinians uh, as uh, unviable partner or irrelevant partner. And they were just waiting for someone just to kind of succumb and say, "Yes, master." Basically, we are. We just raise our our hands in the fl- our white flag and do whatever you please. That's what they're waiting for a Palestinian leadership to be. And you know the the blockade it reduced the conflict instead of a human beings a people that has a place in history that has traditions that has culture that has um, you know social uh, fabrics that are being violated every day instead right. of looking at the Palestinians in that prism they look at the Palestinians are like just beings of some sort who need to eat and have electricity and have water and internet, and they ration that to them. And if you misbehave, we're going to cut all that off. If you agree with us or agree to a ceasefire, okay, we're going to increase, instead of getting six hours of electricity a day, we'll give you eight hours. Those are the sum of our ambitions as Palestinians now. We mm-hmm. cannot get any political uh gains or representation or um you know any kind of independence from that monster i see it as you know uh, you know many people say okay we are gonna drive the occupation out with what with with our blood i mean mm-hmm. uh, half of that blood has been spilled already it's like you know my background is oncology when you have a transplant within the body of something, a, a, a foreign body within your body, it can sometimes take over and it mm. becomes the master of everything. If you touch it, it's going to spread and get exactly what's happening on the ground. And you cannot get rid of it. You have to kill the body, basically destroy everything in order to, to get rid of the cancer, which is you know a deadly proposition for everybody. Right, and you you uh, you alluded to it uh, before. I mean, you talked about it. You said ten would pass the date ten days ago. You said nineteen forty eight. Um, talking about Al Nakba, the Nakba, um, which uh, is commemorated. Uh, we recently just had a Minneapolis event uh, to lay down and and take note of that seventy fifth year of Al Nakba. Can you talk about what's meant by that uh, term, and then um, you know how that relates to the you know, continuing struggle as much as there can be one uh, of the Palestinian people? Of course. Um, Nakba in Arabic means catastrophe, okay, or a disaster. Catastrophe is worse, and, and I agree with that. But it, right. it's not only 75 years. This started in the late 1800s, okay? Late 1800s, when the Zionist movement set a goal to get uh, Palestine as a Jewish home for the uh, for the Jewish people, okay, a national home for the Jewish people. And with the help of the British government, which had a mandate 
specifically designed for that purpose. After the World War One and the division of all these Arab nations among the victors, of course, you know, they own things after you win the war. France uh, um, and, and Britain, mainly some, you know, countries here and there, also Italy, etc. But Britain and France basically divided the Arab world amongst them, and Britain took uh, control over Palestine. So the British crown, I know you're you're originally uh, British, but right. you don't you don't condone that. I know that. Correct. <laughs> I know your heart, uh, and I actually like the uh, the English Premier League. I watch the English <laughs> Premier League all the time. Yeah. Have nothing against the British people, but I have I have a lot against the the monarchy that gave what it didn't own to those right. who did not deserve, and all the propaganda that was running around in Europe, you know, saying, "Oh, it's a people; these are poor Jew Jews in Europe who don't have a land, and there is an empty piece of land that has no people. If any place." was ever populated it would have been palestine jericho is the oldest city in the world okay and it it has a, a history of thousands upon thousands of years and no one has the the deed or the you know the documents that says oh this is my land the only thing that the jewish narrative says is that oh god promised us the land well, you know, I have a I have an issue with that because there are other people who lived there before God promised you land, and the the, the promise was uh, preconditioned with a few things. If you do one, two, three, you know, yes, you are the chosen. Mm -hmm. We're not getting into a religious. I can I can right. argue about that, or from a, a religious, from a, a you know, a nationalistic, from a moral uh, perspective. Uh, all these uh, excuses were just to get rid of these. That's what, what the Europeans saw when Jews were persecuted in Europe and they were subjected to racism, anti-Semitism and all the horrible things that happened. Of course, with the Holocaust that came and kind of was the shocker at the end, they felt sorry for them somehow or they just said, hey, we can just let them go and here's a piece of land nobody is going to fight over let's give it to them and that you know culminated in uh the balfour declaration where the, the british government the the, the british uh, monarchy said yeah we have no problem with you going and establishing a jewish home in palestine even though they're mentioning it by name how can you do that mm. of course you're the king or the queen at the time i don't know who it was i think it was a king wasn't it I, I'm not 100% sure either. We've seen, uh, but unfortunately, we've had to be hit with a bunch more monarchy propaganda recently, as we saw with uh, the new uh, king in uh, in Britain, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. Americans get really excited about it, maybe even more than <laughs> British people do, which is just disgusting right. to me. But yes, and but I, yeah, I don't know who it was. I don't follow kings, and I didn't. Uh, I, 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 didn't I didn't follow all the coronation, all that. No, mm -hmm. absolutely not. So. That leads up the declaration. Now, you know, the Zionist movement, I have no problem with, Jew, with Jews themselves as a religion, as a group, because guess what? Palestine before then was right. a resort for those Jews from Europe. 
and other places where they were uh, persecuted, that was a safe haven for them to come and live their life, be integrated with the community. In, uh, in Jerusalem, the, the Supreme Court before 1948, it had people who were Arab, it had people who were Muslim, uh, uh, Jews, Christians, uh, other uh, religious uh, you know, denominations. They were looking at things in a more um, you know, eclectic, if you will, um, fashion, and they were implementing the laws of the land. That's where, what they were doing. Obviously, now it's a different uh, situation. That's where all the Jewish immigration started from Europe into Palestine with the aid of, uh, you know, the British. They were supporting them with money. They were giving them uh, weapons. And that's when all these clashes and scrimmages were because these Jewish communities were some of the most um, you know, aggressive people who are coming in because these are like the early Zionists, many of whom were members of terrorist organization like Isaac Shamir, Isaac Rabin, uh, Shimon Peres, uh, many of Menachem Begin, all these people who became, you know, prime ministers, uh, defense ministers in Israel and, and ruled the country, they were members of these terrorist gangs that first came to Palestine, and they were attacking the Palestinians. And that's when, you know, things escalated in 1948, and the war erupted, and thousands and thousands of Palestinians, about three quarters of a million, that's when the Nakba started, which, which is commemorated on the 15th of May. Um, you know, it was, it was just a, a shame to see the, the commissioner of the European Union uh, celebrate the independence, the independence, so-called independence of Israel. Independence from who? You came as the usurpers and took that land from someone else. Imagine, I don't care if you're Muslim or or whatever, and you come to my house and take my my house and say, "Oh, this is given to me by God." You will be my enemy, no matter who you are. I don't care if you're my brother. Right. Right. No one can do that. Obviously, now people are, are in their ivory towers in Europe where racism is still alive and well. And look with how they're treating black uh, players, speaking of the English Premier League, mm -hmm. Vinicius Jr. Of, of Real Madrid, how he was subjected to racism. And many of the of, uh, you know non-white uh, players have always suffered under that. Still there, especially in France, in Britain, in in you know several different uh, Germany, everywhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, racism, anti-Semitism, still there. We are as victims, Palestinians, as anyone else when it comes to racism and being treated differently because our land was taken away. The superpowers decided in 1947 to divide the land. So the 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 person who owns the house has to div to give up half or the better half of the house right to the usurper and then be happy with it of course the palestinians refused right so these you know superpowers imposed that solution and it didn't work of course is israel was happy to declare statehood immediately because they had right. nothing before and while the palestinians and the arabs are stunned that this is this is not happening we can get it back right Obviously, the, the state of weakness and division among the Arab 
you know, countries and leaders. Everybody belongs to a different camp. Somebody belongs to the East camp, somebody to the West camp. And things did not go well. And more and more of the land was taken away. So 1948, 1967, when Gaza, the, uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, the West Bank, East Jerusalem fell, they became part, and even the whole Sinai Desert. So it has been a continuous catastrophe one day after another. The only glimmer, maybe, glimmer of hope was in 1993 when they said, oh, there is a peace process, but we see where this has been going. And more losses, more deterioration on the ground, things a lot worse today. I mean, the last time I went to, uh, to the West Bank where I have family, from Gaza to the West Bank, I was able actually to cross and go, but these days you can't. I, you know, in my work at Minnesota State uh, University, I tried to to do a collaboration project with uh, a university in the West Bank, even though I'm Palestinian. Maybe because I'm Palestinian, right. and I'm I have a U.S. passport, I couldn't go. The Israeli government uh, rejected that, and I couldn't go. So um, I guess the, the only other there's uh, the only other main thing that came to mind was, um, you know, obviously we were talking previously about this right wing government, uh, extreme right wing government that's in power in uh, Israel. Uh, now the um, uh, territory that Israel claims Do you. I mean, there's been some of the largest protests that there that 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 we've seen in uh, Israel. After that, specifically, there was also there was like a law around not uh, displaying the Palestinian flag in public. There was people bringing out uh, the flag uh, as part of those protests. Is there anything hopeful in any of that, or does that just seem like it's just an Israeli internal politics thing? As far as uh, as far as your uh, impression, yeah, I hear you. Um, it could look like there <laughs> may be hope, but right. I'm I'm not very hopeful. I'm sorry. Um, what Israelis do, you know, within their own internal politics has no um, basis in reality for the Palestinians. So I'll give you an example. When, whenever there is Israeli election and everybody wants to, um, you know, gain more votes, right? aggression against the Palestinians becomes a hot topic for the election. And people become more aggressive in their language, they become more racist in their language in order to um, attract and bring and polarize the people so that they can gain more votes. And the latest aggression by Israel just a few weeks ago was just another, um, you know, episode of this, this whole uh, mechanism. For example, the when Netanyahu became um, prime minister again, he surrounded himself with all these extreme elements, uh, some of which have the most, have said and done the most racist uh, things against the Palestinians. And yet in the West, we don't hear about it. They think, oh, you know, you cannot touch Israel. Israelis have a different kind of standard when it comes to um, you know, holding the, them them accountable, right? Uh, and because of the the uh, transgressions of the 
Netanyahu government and his ambition to, to stay in power for a long time, his government proposed that uh, changing the judiciary system, the Supreme Court, overhauling it. You know, Israel itself, uh, you know, they appear united when it comes to animosity against the Palestinians. But within the Israeli society, there is a lot of division. They have people on the extreme left. They have people who are socialist, people who are communist, uh, and others who are very ultra-religious, um, you know, uh, walks of life like the Shas and uh, Meir Kahana and Israel Beteno and all these uh, extremists, uh, you know, the the, uh, the interior minister, for example, he is, his hero is Baruch Goldstein, who is, who in, in 1990 slaughtered people in the mosque in Hebron, who was praying early prayer uh, in, in the morning. He went in with a machine gun and he killed over 30 people before he himself was captured and killed by the worshipers after committing a huge massacre. So that is the, the role model for this uh, Israeli, the new uh, minister of interior. And some of the most aggressive uh, policies against the Palestinians, like um, you cannot fly the Palestinian flag. Uh, you know, putting a lot of restrictions on Palestinian movement, uh, attacking religious sites uh, during Ramadan and beating up worshippers, etc. You know, all these things to agitate the public, to make them more, uh, uh, you know, aggressive and more um, against the Palestinians in any way, shape or form, especially when the Palestinians, with whatever they have, they try to respond or escalate you know, these firecrackers of so-called rockets that the, they always say, you know, oh, the Palestinians fired 100 rockets. They don't go like two miles and they explode in the air or something or in a field and they freak out. But Palestinians being bombed with F-16s and F-18s and, and uh, the drones over their heads 24-7 and the lives that are uh, taken and the children who are suffering from severe mental illnesses and fear and phobias and, uh, you know, all these uh, PTSD symptoms, right. that doesn't count, you know. So there is no hope if the status quo is the same where it is today. I see it getting worse and worse, especially with the absence of accountability and no one around the world is really interested. Everybody is focused on Ukraine now, and the Palestinian issue is on a not even on the back burner. It's probably back in the freezer now. Mm. Well, I really appreciate you speaking with me and you know uh, sharing that history with me and talking about your own experience. Is there anything else you want to share, or anything else you want to mention before you go? Sure. Um, you know, one thing I I would recommend people to read Noam Chomsky. Uh, and, uh, you know, a few writers like him, very few, uh, who see the conflict as another episode of colonialism. This is like the last episode of colonialism, a settler colonialism. Just he likens it like, you know, the uh, Europeans coming into America and wiping out millions of natives. Thus, the, the British going into Australia and destroying the, the, you know, indigenous population 
to almost an extent to, to, to extension. And mm -hmm. and in in the in Palestine case, unless there is accountability, unless there is, you know, like what happened in South Africa, commissions for forgiveness and reconciliation and giving the Palestinians rights like human beings, we're not, you know, one of the things that Israelis always say, oh, they're gonna throw us into the sea, they're gonna kill all of us, they're gonna destroy. These are just people, morons would, would believe if they, when they see a, a speaker or a representative of the Israeli government, oh, we're the victims, we're being, you know, subjected to thousands of rockets. But yeah, one bomb of yours can kill a whole neighborhood and that that's okay because right. you're a victim. So there's no way you can, there's no solution that would entail a two-state solution because with Israeli settlements, there are no chances of any viable, if you look on the map, you'll see the Palestinian communities surrounded from all directions, like little, like an archipelago, basically, surrounded by highways and roads and uh, security fences and checkpoints from all directions. There's no way for continuity or territorial, uh, you know, integrity for right. a state or anything like a state. The only solution I see is, which is highlighted in one of the writings uh, by Edward Said. Edward Said, he was an intellectual. He died a, a few years ago, uh, quite a few years ago. I can't remember when, but he was at MIT. Uh, quite a, you know, an accomplished writer, intellectual. He's Palestinian from Jerusalem, whose family was killed, uh, was kicked out. And, you know, he's a refugee as well. Um, he writes, there is only a one hope, which is a one state solution, just like you do here. One man, one person, one vote, and then let the chips fall where they may. Obviously, that's not going to ring very true for the Israelis, because as I mentioned in the very beginning, oh, we want a Jewish democratic state, which means an apartheid state where Jews only have the right for democracy or Israelis have the right for democracy, which is completely negates the idea or the thought of, you know, any notion of democratic existence of any nation. And this perpetuate conflict will per make it go forever unless there is a bigger conflict and then who knows what, what the consequ consequences will be. It will be in the millions of, of victims if that happens. I know it's a dark a dark picture, but you know it it's reality, and and people need to wake up. I, I hope it, the movement for support for the Palestinians is, is increasing. I see it in Congress. I see it in some members' comments. But still, the the lobbyists for the other side, just like happened in healthcare, right. the lobbyists who are benefiting from it. And, you know, ideologies behind it, you know, these ultra nationalist Christian, you know, white supremacists and all these people, they have an interest in um, perpetuating the, the conflict because it goes back to their beliefs. It goes back to their, you know, the come the second coming of Christ and, oh, we need to keep prop Israel as a strong uh, nation so that, you know, we can make the uh the wheel of history move faster which you know that's how the whole thing behind their support and israel is reveling in their in their support and thinking now let them su support us and believe whatever they they want to believe and israelis don't buy it the jews don't buy it 
Well, I really appreciate you speaking with me. If you um, share any of those uh, of the specific writings that uh, you think are best uh, from either Chomsky or any of the other uh, or anyone else that you mentioned, uh, I can include that in the show notes, at least sure. the name of the name of the writings and links if, there, if, if I can find any of the stuff online. So, uh, yes, yeah, send that over too. I really appreciate you speaking with me. Glad thank you for the time. Do it anytime. We've had so many conversations, but we have it on tape now. And that's our interview. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.